Welcome to Full Release with Samantha B. Hopefully you'll experience one by the end of this. Oh my God, we're back. Season two, baby. We're here. Thank you so much for holding your breath these last few months. But now, like much of society, we're starting to re-emerge from our chrysalis into a potentially slightly more normal world. Shake off your wings. Dry them out in the sun. Only if you're vaccinated. If you're listening to this right now and you haven't been vaccinated yet, check to see if it's your turn. It probably is. And then check and see if your friends and family are getting vaccinated too. Look online or in the news or you know what? Call Bill Gates. He's got all the records. And if you have been vaccinated, yay, I just, I can't wait to see the bottom of your face. It rounds the whole thing out. So while we transition into a new and hopefully post-COVID world, this podcast is back to make all the upheaval go down a little easier. On my late night show, I like to tackle the big problems. And on this podcast, I like to revel in the feel-good vibes of a conversation with someone I already respect and admire and who definitely, obviously, adores me. And speaking of people who adore me, I'm joined, as always, by my producers, Zvia Baron reinstein and Adam Howard, podcast gals. It feels so good to be back. What are you gals looking forward to <laughs> in the new season? We did it. We made it back. We did it. We clawed our way out of hiatus, and here we are. Oh, I'm excited. I'm really, really excited. It already feels very natural to me. It's like we never stopped. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad to have the excuse to hang out with the two of you every week. That's that's me huge. Too. Uh, I also feel like last our first slate of episodes were all sort of recorded under the shadow of the 2020 election and mm -hmm. Trump. I mean, we're still under the shadow of COVID, but maybe not right. as much. And so it feels like we have this really nice little window of time between election cycles to just kind mm -hmm. of maybe be a little bit more optimistic and positive. Yes. Just a little bit. <laughs> oh my goodness. I feel like at least our first like three episodes. <laughs> then it's going to go downhill. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm really excited for those three. It's all downhill from here. <laughs> then it's just all war and tragedy. <laughs> oh, boy. Okay. Well, we're going to take a quick break, but we have Stephen Colbert coming up, and you're going to want to stick around after that because we're going to play a game inspired by his conservative alter ego. So don't go away because I have some hand picked ads coming up just for you. Joining me today is one of the first people I met when I started a hundred years ago at The Daily Show. And now he is the host of The Late Show with Stephen Colbert. Stephen Colbert. You know, I've joined Stephen many times on his show. So it's exciting to finally have a place of my own to invite him to. Stephen, my goodness, welcome to the pod. Thank you for coming on this podcast. I come on your show like a fair amount. Yeah, but you do you have guests? I don't really. I'm still out doing field pieces and stuff, but we don't really do guest segments. We're yeah. always featuring yeah. people in various sure. field ways, but not in a, sure. in a typical guest setting. We've talked about this a lot, but every time I come on your show, some big news has dropped. Something crazy. Yes. Minutes before you Minutes. walked on the show. And everyone's in a full sweat. People are running around. Everyone's like, <laughs> Stephen's just... Just James Comey got fired. I just, we need this. It's fine. Everything's going to be fine. We're just in a huddle. And I'm like. The Hoover Dam just fell down. We'll be right with you. And then when we, when the, in, the day of the insurrection, I was supposed to come on the show. I was supposed to come on oh, January 6th. And I was that like. Is that is the ultimate. Oh boy. That is the ultimate. And I even just during the day was like, they should not. I was like, please let everybody know over there. That I should not be on the show tonight. And I don't you feel I'm you would have been delightful. You would have been delightful on the show. It's just that I'm like, I want to talk to like a senator and a congressman. Yeah. I want to talk, yeah, I want to talk to somebody who yeah. got dragged out of there by the mm -hmm. by the scruff of the neck yeah. by, you know, by security. Yeah, nobody wants to hear from me and I don't have anything to say. So please, like I'm over here just <laughs> crying and trying to make a homemade pizza so we can all just all watching CNN, just like <laughs> well, how low can we go? <laughs> so what do you think is going to happen while we record this podcast? I don't <laughs> know. Happen while this airs, I'm scared. There's no close flyby meteors out there. Oh, are boy. There? Are you completely unfazed by news now? Or do you let yourself feel those gut punches? Listen, I think you got to let the you got to let yourself feel them. I. Uh, after. 
November seventh, mm-hmm. I guess. Was that the day that it was finally called for Biden? I think so. I think that was the day. I uh, I let I, some valve opened in me, uh-huh. and I went, oh, okay, okay. Right. I can just I could like I felt like I've been paddling through a storm. Yeah. For four years, and I go, oh, okay, okay. There's a, there's a break in the clouds. Does everybody put the paddles down for a second? You don't have to bail. You don't have to bail the boat for just a second. Right. So that when January sixth came around, I I was shocked by how heartbroken I was because mm-hmm. I didn't think I could be that heartbroken anymore, given the calluses right. that had developed. Part of the Part of the challenge of doing the show, like the kind of shows that we do, for me, at least over the last few years, was every so often, even in pitch meetings, I have to say like, hey, can we just um, realize that we're all pitching on this in a very workaday way, but what just happened, we never in our wildest dreams would happen mm-hmm. in America. We ha- That's what tonight's about, is we have to be re-shocked by it. It was very hard. Yeah. We would, the, the metaphor to use, like, let's pull over the car, everybody get out, vomit into the ditch, <laughs> splash some water in our faces, and go, okay, just realize this isn't normal. Now, back in the car, let's keep driving. Right. And I didn't think that I would feel that way, but that was one of the shocking things about that particular... Um, Actually, uh, I, I take it back. It was actually, it wasn't January 6th. January 6th did that again. Mm, mm-hmm. But it was uh, November 5th. It was, uh, I think, it was the Thursday that he walked out and said, you know what, I won and no one's going to tell me I didn't win right. and they all cheated. That's what really broke my heart. I didn't think, right. I was not prepared for that. For me recently was talking about the killing of um, Dante Wright. Uh-huh. I thought, you know, in the worst possible way, I'm used to this. Right. And 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 I said, I want to find another way to frame how we talk about this, because part of the challenge mm-hmm. of not just doing a show, but challenge of being an American today is that you get inured to certain things that you wish were not this way. And you and and I think you need to reframe the way you talk about it. It's try to find a new way to frame right. the way you talk about it. And I wanted to talk about like, well, why was the taser? OK, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, let's talk about that for a second. Yeah. And I and I found myself getting emotional at the top of the show in a way that I hadn't considered. So, yeah, I still get a gut punch mm-hmm. from this. And I and and I think that, um, you know, when you have to talk about those things that are gut punchy, it's a shame not to feel gun punching or else you're yeah. not really being honest about it. You're you're just kind of in some ways being political right. yourself. Right. Because you're just saying what is is sayable as opposed to what you want to say. And you have to do it so many more times a week than I do. <laughs> you have so Yes, but you Ooh. you have the responsibility of digging a little deeper. And you know, you have more time for deconstruction. You have more time to approach it. But then I'm sure there's a certain pressure that comes with that as well. Nobody wants these things to happen. And then when you're a topical show, this is what it. Yeah, this is what the job is now. Oh, oh, I know what you mean. Like, in other words, like, so if it happens on Thursday, a week before, it might not have to be the thing you talk about. Whereas if it happens Thursday and I'm on Thursday night, that's where that's what you have to. Yeah, you, you, yeah, yeah you that's have the to. thing. Yeah, that's. Yeah, yeah. It's part of the gig. It's part it's of the, the gig. It's the self-imposed mandate as much as anything. Sure, sure. Did you ever, could you, I guess you never really could have imagined, like, cause we've known each other for Almost twenty years, actually. When did Is you that start? Crazy? TDS, two thousand three, two thousand three. So it. it's coming on, coming on it, coming on it. Yeah, yeah, it's so unimaginable. I think that we'd be doing shows like that in a world like I can't. <laughs> Anyways, it is. You know, I listen. You'll, you'll, you might uh, dig this, uh, Daddy O. Mm-hmm. We knew that Biden was going to announce September eleventh would be the last day that there'd be ground troops in Afghanistan, mm-hmm. U.S. ground troops in Afghanistan. But we I, we watched the I watched the speech that afternoon, and I was talking to the writers, many of whom are very young, right? And they were in kindergarten <gasps> when when it started. And I said, um, I just want to give you all some context mm-hmm. about this war, and and I'm not not that I know anything of war, but I know about talking about this war because right. when you and I were there, we were talking about it all the time. All the time. Like it's it one of the oddest things about it was that I thought we gave the story uh I'm not going to say it's due, mm-hmm. but certainly commensurate with the amount it took up of the news cycle. Right. Which was the first 4 minutes of a 15 minute monologue. Right. And I went, I can't believe after 20 years, especially when it's the first Eight years of which we talked about it every day or at least every other day. And I was trying to say to the younger writers, like, you don't understand, like, 
Hamid Karzai's hat and Mullah Omar's glass eye and and <laughs> Helmand Province and and Kandahar and oh. and Bujkazi the goat polo and mm. like how much we talked about this all the time mm-hmm. but then the news stopped talking about it right. and we're just a reflection of that we're not you know we're just a shadow of what's actually happening out there we don't right. set an agenda right and I I I had to like drive home to them like no no you we have to find we have to somehow contextualize what's happening here it's not just this thing we don't talk about it's not going to happen anymore mm-hmm. why should we have been talking about it what what is this thing that Biden's ending and why is it still a political cudgel even though even the politicians there wasn't one damn question mm-hmm. in any of the presidential debates about Afghanistan not one right. And now they have the balls to stand up and say, well, how could you possibly walk away? Like, you didn't talk about yeah. it at all. <laughs> I know. I know. I know. If you were still doing the Colbert Report, how could oh. you have done it? Like, how? Couldn't. Couldn't have done couldn't, it. Couldn't. No, man. I've Oof. thought about that. Like, wow. Like, wow. I pulled that ripcord just in time. Just in time. Because, I mean, I, well, before, I mean, I never thought I'd get the gig I have now. It was never part of the plan. Mm. This just kind of fell out of a cloud after I'd already made the decision to stop the old show. I mean, nobody knew, a few people knew, Mm -hmm. but I already knew I was going to leave. And part of it was because I didn't want to titrate that little bit of poison you have to drink in order to to do a real satire. Because satire is not just making jokes about the news, but you're embodying some other opinion, generally one you don't believe. You're usually modeling behavior that you're already seeing out in the world and saying, well, this is Mm -hmm. the logical extension of that. That's how I see satire. Right. And... I didn't want to do that anymore because that meant you had to still kind of consume yeah. the thing that you were satirizing. And right. I didn't want to do it anymore because it was getting darker and darker mm-hmm. as it went along. Mm-hmm. And then suddenly it got leapfrogged. Even the news that we were satirizing and the, or the news media that we're satirizing, if not the news, got l- leapfrogged right. by the news, which was this one man. Right, right. And and I thought, I can't leapfrog him. I because Because the thing about my character was... Uh, well-intentioned, poorly informed, high-status idiot was mm-hmm. the model. Because I thought, you know, George Bush generally probably well-intentioned, poorly informed. Right. High-status idiot. He was one of my models as long as, as well as Bill O'Reilly and other people. Mm-hmm. You can't model Donald Trump. You can't model Alex Jones. Mm-mm. You can't model that because there's no well-intentioned. The audience doesn't want to see that. It's right. too hateful. Right. And I was like, I would hate to have to find something about that I like. Because right. I liked my character. I, I was so glad. Mm-hmm. And not only that, I would end up doing a parody of a parody because he literally said lines almost verbatim that my character said. Right. And I went, that's, I'm so glad I'm out. Having to ingest all of those arguments and thoughts just in order to do a character is impossible. Like, I know we're all talking about, you know. Well, possible, just it wears on you. It wears, on you, it wears on you. Yeah. It, just imagining having to ingest all the arguments about cancel culture. Like, it is just something I, oh, <laughs> I just. I love, I love, I love those arguments about cancel oh. culture, though. Oh, you mean, you mean, um. I mean consequences? Conse- yeah, like consequences. <laughs> like actions have consequences? Yeah, oh, that's like, interesting. Like when you say really bad things um, and people don't <laughs> like that and they tell you that they don't like that, that's right. impossible. And, and and those people that are supposedly you're all worried about being canceled still have jobs and never... and <laughs> Yeah, you all have media jobs. <laughs> the media jobs. And they might feel bad because they mm-hmm. got called out on something. Like, listen... Uh, I felt bad when people have been mad at me. I feel terrible. terrible. Like I'm, I like being loved. Mm-hmm. I love being loved. Mm-hmm. But like I've had consequences for things that I've said and done. People got furious at me. Oh, but I'm like awful. okay, all right. <laughs> Note taken. <laughs> I heard that, and believe me, yeah. I don't. Some of it will be processed into my behavior. <laughs> Some of it won't. I grew a lot of gray hair in that moment, and I am oh my god, truly sorry. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about, girl. Oh, boy. Oh, you can't even... You can't... <laughs> yes, I can. I mean, the yes, panic I when I... During... At the beginning of the... <laughs> obviously, the we don't even need to talk about the scale of the pandemic no, and the we tragedy. Don't. We don't. But I we think don't. that a parallel thought in my brain for a lot of the beginning parts was, how am I going to get... What am I going to do about these roots? And I spent <laughs> a lot of energy... Like crushing walnuts to be like, can I get just a little dye from these? Mm-hmm. How do I make? I have not. I have never dyed my hair, even though my sister repeatedly accuses me of it. Mm-hmm. I've never dyed my hair. Lucky. But now it's. I mean, 
uh, I I look like I've sipped from the wrong, uh, you know, holy grail. <laughs> I mean, I the the level of decrepitude that has yeah. crept upon me over the past year. Yeah, I feel like I grew a lot of like what you would what what a young person calls a freckle, and what I now know as liver spots, and they're just like emerging from all over. They're just like all over you. They're just like spotted, just like a freckled toad. <laughs> That's what political topical comedy will get you. Mm -hmm. This is a really sidebar. I worry that Josh Hawley is going to make a run for the presidency and win. <laughs> I'm worried about that guy. He freaks me out. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I don't know. The yeah. odd thing about him is that I know his name and I know yeah. uh, that uh, people who have worked with him, like since his days at Oxford, mm -hmm. have said, oh, that's, a, that's, that's an honest to God fascist. Right. But I've never... I can't remember what his voice sounds like, and that's not good for him. No, that's not that's not good for him. That I can't remember what his voice sounds like. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, you really need to be a TV star, right? On a certain level, to be pre the person who's the T. Uh, you know, what worries me, not because I don't think he's a lovely guy and I enjoy his work immensely, is that I think The Rock could win. Right. Like, and I don't think The Rock is necessary. He's not seeking it. It's not like he's out there. Like, he's not doing up a trial balloon. He's being asked. Yeah. Like a lot of people get asked, like, mm -hmm. you know, I, I'm sure people have asked you if you'd run for public office, but he's a star. Right. You know, we were talking about the rock in our pitch meeting the other day, because we had our fun with the idea of president rock. Sure. And, and one of my writers, Steve Waltine goes, okay, that's it. He's going to be president. Yeah. And, and I said, why? And he goes, look how much we're enjoying talking about the right. rock. Right. And on top of that, we kind of like him. Like he's a star. The camera the, where's the where are the trucks gonna go if the if the if the rock runs where are the where are the where are the news trucks gonna go right. wherever the rock is I'm not sure if the news trucks are gonna go wherever Josh Holly is I'm not convinced that they're gonna go wherever <laughs> the Josh Holly is Josh Holly's gonna think that Josh Holly really looks like you know he spends a fair amount of his day in front of a full length mirror going yeah yeah I guess yeah I like <laughs> the way that my fingers are triangulating here it it conveys <laughs> you know intelligence and power mm -hmm. yeah. I really look like somebody I would trust with a lot of power. <laughs> How do you make fun of politicians who have no shame? It's hard. They love just being talked about. They don't. I know. I know. Care. We did, we have a bit on the show tonight, and I'm in, I'm not sure. This is broadcasting at some other point. I realize mm -hmm. this is all going into a titanium capsule that's going to be buried in the Arizona desert sure, and a thousand years from now people will dig it up and then they'll finally <laughs> hear all the pearls mm -hmm. what was the height of their civilization oh, we this have found it. it um we have a, a piece on tonight's show uh and I don't even know what day or date this is mm -hmm. but uh about some guy named Dan uh Rodimer oh. he's running for he's running for uh the he's running in as a in Texas for the mm -hmm. US Congress Okay. And he's like, I'm Dan Rulemeyer. And, you know, here in sure. Texas, there are three great jobs. There's, you know, there's bull riding, uh, <laughs> oh, professional wrestling, and 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 politics. And because he used to be a professional wrestler, oh. and he's from New Jersey. Oh, and come on. He, mo he moved to Nevada to run for Congress. And in Nevada, he was like, hi, I'm Dan Rulemeyer. And, you know, like... <laughs> And then, and then it takes like, I'm Dan Roma. And he's like pretending to ride a bull. And it's clearly all just a stunt double. Oh. And, and he's doing it full, like, you know, you know, macho man kind of. Mm -hmm. But it's so funny. But I'm like, oh, God, I just gave him like four minutes of national airtime. Right. Right. He's like, yay. Yay. I'm sure he was yay. I'm like, I don't know, it's not my job to stop him from getting elected. My right. job is to just. See something super dumb and talk about right. it. And super dumb does not begin to describe Dan Roman. Super dumb. I will never forget. I took a lot from this moment. And I don't even know. You probably won't even remember it. But the one time that I was on your show and you were like, who do you like for this election? And I was like, oh, I shouldn't say. And you were like, why? Do you think you're going to call it? <laughs> you're the one? <laughs> you're going to do it? You gonna put them over the edge, and I was like, right. We don't. I don't have to pretend. Like I don't have to be... <laughs> thank you. Anyway, so I, I really need to thank you for that because I just went. Oh yeah, right. I like Elizabeth Warren. She's well, great. no, I mean I know that I know the impulse too, and I think yeah. I think we both we both learned it rightly from our old boss John mm -hmm. Stewart because people would constantly say, well, "What do you think of your influence?" He's like, "I'm right. not in this for influence. I don't know. I don't have. I'm not here to influence people." Or mm -hmm. he would say, "I don't think I have any influence." 
mm-hmm. then I think that later turned into like, well, influence is not what I'm here for. If people say I'm influenced, that's fine. The influence, right. that's not my call, mm-hmm. which is, I think, is a realization that you come, you do it for a while. It's not, it's insulting to say you're not influencing somebody because they say, sure. no, you influence me. That's fine. But, you know, that's, that's not, not our the intention. goal. That's yeah. not the goal. So, you know, I, I, you know, the whole thing, like there's intention versus interpretation. Like mm-hmm. there's my intention. And there's someone else's interpretation of what you do. Right. And I've I've come to see another level of that. I used to be able to stand on that solid ground and go, there's my intention and there's your interpretation. And I'm sorry for your interpretation, but this was my intention. Right. I don't think intention versus interpretation captures it anymore. Right. I have come to realize that, well, I I have to I have to live with people's interpretation. Right. Which is not the same thing as that armor right. plate of, well, my intention was not that. Like, well. Maybe your intention isn't the be all and end all here. It it really takes a minute, I think. Like you've been famous for much longer for what you do. You know, you've had a much larger profile for a lot, lot, lot longer than me. But like I found the journey to acknowledging in my own brain that the things that I say do mean something to other people, sort of. Yes. I found that journey very hard. And sure. took a long time where I went, oh, my words, they don't change the world, but they do have little reverberations and people are hearing them. Like people. Yeah, they listening. make an emotional change for people. Yeah. Change, and that, that that's important. I actually only learned that when I called the president's daughter a bad uh, word. And that was like a real moment for me. And then I went, oh, yeah. OK, well, that reverberated in a way that I didn't think was going to happen, but I had to take that point in my head and I went, right, right. Like, I'm not just doing the show in a barn for my friends and my family. Though that that doing that show in a barn for your friends and family is also a very important feeling, though. It's a very tough line to walk. I I totally get that because you don't want to do a show that you're going like, well, what would people like? No, you got to do what you think is, well, you got to do what you think is right. 100%. And then, and because... Purcell used to call Tom Purcell, you know, Tom, mm-hmm. Tom Purcell used to call my exec. He used to call the Colbert Report goes, well, this is a college newspaper. We're just doing it for each other, right. you know? Yeah. And I have no idea, especially back at Comedy Central ratings demo. Who knows? What? No one ever told us anything. Mm-hmm. And even less at you know, when we were at the daily show, they yeah. would sometimes tell John, but I literally, I was at the Colbert Report for almost 10 years. Once a year, somebody would say, Hey, this is your audience. Mm-hmm. Like, Oh, that's good to know. Yeah. Or like these are how ratings are. And I'm like, okay, and you'll tell me if I'm canceled, right? And that would be the that would be the yeah. whole conversation. And and so, but because we're just doing it for each other and hoping yeah. that if we were honest with each other about what made us laugh with our own particular satirical intention, that there'd be an audience. And it turned out there was. Yeah. So that's a good feeling to be able to do that way. But then but then you forget that a comedy writer's room is like an anarchist playground. And right. it should be. Because it ends up being like you end up up one upping each other a lot in terms of how outrageously could you say that? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's like a game, and you forget that oh, not everybody in the world plays that game. Exactly. Like, do you feel when you? I don't know what you do for when you rehearse. When you rehearse the, you do like a run through of. I used your to. Rem- I used to rehearse. I have not rehearsed in a year. Oh, you haven't? Okay. Yeah, no. I guess we really haven't either. We do a read through, which I guess is our That's de facto. It. That's it. I do a read through, which is also the rewrite. Right. So yes. I, it's not that cleanliness of, of rehearsal where you go and you read the script, you see mm-hmm. what worked, and you go, okay, now let's work on what didn't work. Right. This is all just theory. It's, it's right. all just, you're just reading sheet music. That's right. all you're doing. There's never any moment where you get to touch the instrument. It's uh, it's very different. We actually had a moment in uh, in the show that aired the other day when we did the read through of this one thing, it was totally fine because we were like all together and we're just like on a zoom and just rehearsing and we showed this clip and it was like, ah, this is great. And then I did it again with no audience, but in a big studio, like in a big space. And I saw that moment going out in the world in a different way. And in the, and I had to pull it when we cut it from the show. Cause I was like, this was bad. <laughs> <laughs> we can't do this. So thank God. You know, you just have But you don't always like that. have that you you don't always have that moment of reflection. Sometimes you, you don't. 
sometimes you don't have that that third eye. Mm. It's, it's a tricky. It's a tricky thing. It's tricky because you, especially with no audience, man, you gotta yes. you gotta go through that little database in your head of like, mm-hmm. okay, what might the reaction to this be? For sure. Though that's not how you created it. You like mm-hmm. you created it because it's funny and that we liked it in the room. And then you go, okay. How does that play tonally yeah. with the rest of what I'm saying tonight? And mm-hmm. that's a little daring. That's got a little that's got a little mustard on that pitch. And so I'll mm-hmm. keep that in. And then you go to perform and you go, oh, that feels tough. Because there's a performance energy yes. that then inflates every feeling. Totally. That performance inflates every feeling. And then you go, oh God. <laughs> that's, <laughs> ooh, that's a ooh. hot stove. Take uh. that out. But if you're a little tired, you don't have that third eye going. You don't have that thing going. And then later you go, hey, that thing you said, you went, oh, you know what? You're right. Right. Yeah. How are you feeling about no? When are you going back to audience? When are you going? How do I feel about no audience? Yeah. I've never felt great about no audience. Yeah. I spent about two weeks with no audience at the beginning, Mm -hmm. and and I thought that I thought that I was getting osteoporosis. (laughs) I thought my bones were my bones were were as hollow as a sparrow's by the end of it. You could have just drilled holes and made a flute out of my femur. Right. I remember like flopping down on the couch after two weeks of it. Mm-hmm. And again, the crew was just my wife and my kids. There was nobody sure. in, the, in the building but me. And just face down on the couch going, I don't know how I'm going to do this. Like, right. I don't know. Because it was, it was increasingly looking like this was going to be a long time. You know, at first mm-hmm. we're like, hey, we'll be out for a couple of weeks. Uh, no, no problem. Uh, it'll be an adventure. It's like, you know, camping out in the living room. And Evie, God bless her, because she's known me long enough that she just kind of patted me on the back and said, you'll figure it out and walked out of the room. <laughs> and, and God bless her, because it was like, oh, yeah, I should pull up my boots and just keep working, right? right, right. So then I fell into this like, okay, what, what's good about it? Well, okay, well, the, the interviews can be more intimate. Mm-hmm. And if I, pardon the expression, fuck up, mm-hmm. I can go, you know what? When we did the show, when we did the show first, like for the first few months of doing the show, actually, mm-hmm. without an audience, I would do we do the show in three chunks. We do the monologue in three chunks because our monologues okay. can be up to 15 minutes long. So right. which is pretty long for one of these gigs. I mm-hmm. think I think I do the longest monologue. Mm-hmm. I would do five minutes. We'd stop. And then I would do those five minutes again. Then I would do the next five minutes. We would end on a full frame, some full frame or video. Yeah. And I would stop and do the next five minutes again. Okay. And then the next one, and then we would do that. So I would do the whole show twice okay. and then go, all right, Tom, or whoever's going to finally edit this, like take the best of that. And then eventually I found the way to, I found, had the ability just to do 15 minutes without stopping. Okay. But it's changed the speed at which I do it. I do this show much faster mm-hmm. than I used to do. So we're actually doing more material in those 15 minutes. Right. I'm driving it. There's no inflation. I don't have to wait for the audience. I'm just yeah. grinding ahead. And also the interesting thing is that, even on your once a week shows, you say that you're not obligated to talk about X, Y, or Z. Mm-hmm. Because of what interests you, you do talk about things that might be a little darker than a comedy show might necessarily dip their, you know, mm-hmm. their dipstick into just because, well, that's that's the national conversation. Right. I don't have to worry about what order in which I do it anymore. Right. Because when you're doing it in front of a live audience, you gotta go, okay, what's this gonna do to the audience? If I talk about Dante Wright here. What's that going to do to the audience when I'm talking about Matt Gates here? It doesn't matter because you're not killing the vibe in a room because that's a very specific tuning. In a way, it's like tuning an instrument. Like, Mm -hmm. man, if I jam on this guitar this hard, I'm going to have to retune it before I get to before I play, you know, Dog and the Butterfly. Right. If If I start off with Sympathy for the Devil. Doesn't matter. Any order you want to do it, whatever makes logical sense to you in terms Mm -hmm. of storytelling of the day is you free up. Now, that being said, right. and this is a really long answer, but you asked a big question, yeah. audience, because what do we do? What have we learned to do as performers our entire professional lives is we've learned to have a relationship with the audience. Mm-hmm. There's no audience there now. So what are you doing in your head? I've got that 20,000 hours or whatever it is in my head that is a tank right. filled up in my head. There's this fuel that's in my head, which is I know what this would be like in front of an audience. Right. And I also know what it would be like to do it with the staff that I love. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I know what that experience would be like. And that tank lasted about a year. Okay. And then I made a huge mistake. <gasps> what? On almost exactly the anniversary of us leaving, which was March 12th, yeah. some of my crew and two of one of my writers and a couple of my producers came in. Mm-hmm. But like also props and never like like we went into the Ed Sullivan Theater and we shot something socially distanced at a green screen. Okay. And I, I was I was playing Lex Luthor. I had a skinhead wig. We improvised. It was fun. It was mm-hmm. funny. 
And it broke me. I was like, oh, I forgot. That's what I came here to do. Oh. And, and and it could no longer be theory in my head. And I went, okay. I said to my assistant when I came up to get back into the Zoom world yeah. to do the rewrite, I said, by the way, I'm done. She goes, what? What are you done with? I said, this whole thing. Yeah. I, just had a t- I just had a reminder of why I actually like the job. I've been working. Right. I've been reading music theory. For a, I've been performing music theory and sheet music for a year. I'm ready to go actually do music again. Right, right, right. So when will you have them back? Uh, uh, I don't know. I'd like to say I'd like to say middle of the summer. Yeah, it all depends on how vaccination goes. And right. my understanding is that once it's down to like ten thousand, if you got a steady line of about ten thousand cases, like uh-huh. new cases a day, you're really in a whole new world. Okay. Okay. But we're not. We're at 70,000 new cases a day. Mm-hmm. But at the speed things are going, I don't know. God, I'd love to be in after July. I Probably sure. in the fall. Yeah. But I yeah. don't want to go back on until I really go back on. I don't want to go back in with like, there's a cluster of 30 people here. And I've got a cluster of 30 people there. And there's 20 people on the balcony. And mm-hmm. John Baptiste is behind a plexiglass screen. Right. And the cameraman. No, I just no. want to go back. You know, yeah. I've yeah. waited this long. Come on. Let's let's go back in when we can go back in uh, with joy, yes. not with trepidation. I can't share the stage with the with the specter of COVID. I have to just go on and do the show. Yeah, you can't really. I mean, we've done. We're venturing out into the world a bit to shoot field segments now, and I, I got yeah, I can dig that similar kind of like just feeling like there's a crew there and a camera. Mm-hmm. I just felt whole again. It just yeah. it was like. I want to do this. And there definitely was a point where I stopped advancing my Zoom world. So I never changed the decor. Like I figured it out. Like I figured out all the technical things and I got some lights and I got a couple of gizmos that make it a little better and then never moved from that point. Like I could have built another thing that made it even better, but I'm like, I refuse. (laughs) There's only so much I concede to this. And and for all and for all of that, how lucky we are to do a job that can be done like this. Oh, you know what I God. mean? God, yeah, yeah. To keep and, people and, working and for our and... staff too, mm-hmm. for they, that they they can keep going too. We're very lucky that way. I had a really interesting conversation. Here's name drop Dan Rather, but okay. Um, I did his podcast, his podcast talk with Sam B. I'm doing all the pods, but I did do so, Dan Rather's podcast a little while ago, mm-hmm. and he asked me a question, which I definitely tried to prevaricate and then thought better of it again. So he was like, do you find yourself pulling punches when it comes to Joe Biden? And I was like, oh, no, I don't. Well, Yes. <laughs> I was like, I do. I could make a lot of jokes <laughs> that I'm definitely not making. Oh, do you feel that at all? Do you feel yourself going? I don't. I'm, I'm happy to answer that question. I was at first. I want you to define what pull punch means. Well, I feel like I haven't. I've kind of held off on a few things where I'm like, okay, I'm starting to get ready to go. Hey, man, why are we keeping those limits on refugees? Like now, I'm like, hmm. I'm, I'm like, we got to do a segment on the border. Yeah. Like, what is going on down there? Yeah. You know, and I feel like those stories are coming forward now. Where I'm like, I'm ready to, I'm ready to talk about this. Tell you what, stuff. I tell you what, I'm not sure if I would say pull punch. Right. Um. Uh, listen, he's a very, very old man. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He's the oldest man to ever live. And, uh, <laughs> I love the cat mm-hmm. and that there's no denying that, mm-hmm. you know, the things with Obama, you know, there were a couple of things that we would talk about. It was like, why haven't you closed Gitmo? Mm-hmm. Like you said you would like, man, right. I know you can say like, oh, it's really hard or that I can't do it. Like, but that's not my job. My right. job is not go like, I understand the political necessity of meow, meow, meow. Mm-hmm. That's political behavior to to do that. You said one thing and you're doing another. Right. Okay. That's that. Um, not a huge fan of your, your semi-autonomous flying killer robot program. Mm-hmm. Not a huge fan of that, no. you know. So those were things that we would make jokes about that were, I would say, politically critical jokes mm-hmm. about Obama. Now, you could have done those jokes on about Obama Two days in, because two sure. days in, after reading his, his memoir, I know that two days in, they started with the f- semi-autonomous flyer killing robots. Right. Now that I know, like, it's oh. immediately. Yeah. There was, like, questionable blow-em-ups. Mm-hmm. 
So, but I didn't necessarily know that. And also like, let's see what this guy's like. Right. I would say that for me, it is not inconsequential to make a joke about the oldest president being the oldest person. Like mm -hmm. he's the oldest man you've ever seen giving the saddest speech you've ever heard in uh -huh. the quietest voice possible that can be picked up by a microphone. <laughs> Those are the kind of jokes that, you know, that we're doing right now. Mm -hmm. uh, perfectly willing to talk, do segments about what's going on on the border. Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't know yet because it's such a political cudgel. Yeah. Look, if Joe Biden ends up, taking children from their parents mm -hmm. oh. then Katie barred the door. That doesn't seem to be happening. No. If, if, if Joe Biden uh, ends up stranding children in the middle of the desert and says, you know, fuck you, your, 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 your problem for mm -hmm. coming here by yourself. He didn't do that. Mm -hmm. So yes. Is there, is there a crisis at the border? Yes. Is it a crisis of Joe Biden's making? I don't believe it is. Mm -hmm. That's why I am having a little trouble getting my teeth underneath that subject yes. whereas the previous administration purposefully using cruelty as a policy mm -hmm. in, in means of deterrent well i understand where the i understand where the the joke is there otherwise you're just talking about a ongoing tragedy mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so yeah should you do a segment on the border yeah i don't know what that is yet and he doesn't get a he doesn't get a get out of joke free card no. not that my jokes matter at all um I'm uh, interested what he's going to do with what he's going to do with refugees. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm interested in all that. There's no. Have I thrown haymakers, uh, comedic haymakers? Because, again, mm -hmm. we're doing jokes here. And I don't want to say just jokes because jokes are hard to come up with. But we're doing jokes here. Mm -hmm. I don't I don't I don't pretend that I've got a, a particular um, indispensable political view that everybody's got to hear. Mm -hmm. I am fully prepared to do so. Right. But right now, I'm mostly just impressed that he is getting shit done. Yeah. Because I've always believed that if you want to get something done, don't be president of the United States. Yeah. Because mostly they don't. They look to political realities. And so I'm mostly impressed that shit's getting done that I like. Mm -hmm. And I can't divorce that I like it from me doing jokes about it any yeah. more than you can divorce marble from the shape of a statue. Yeah. I like that they have a list. I like that they seem to care i'll tell you another reason why it's hard to do jokes about joe biden mm -hmm. besides that he just looks like somebody's grandpa is that there's not a lot of news about him right i'm sorry you could do jokes about the last dude every day because i don't set what the agenda is but every day that's all there was it was all the video there was for us to roll mm -hmm. i don't go shoot the news i just talk about it right Joe Biden, it's a fraction of what it used to be. Mm -hmm. So of all of that stuff, that that little amount that you hear about him, and it's pretty small. Yeah. Even compared to Obama, it's little. It's pretty small. Then you have to then find what part of that you think you're going to satirize. Mm -hmm. And it ends up being a much smaller pool. And then you have to go, okay, I'm definitely purposefully going to sharpen my knife for him. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't seem honest either. Yeah. But if the meat comes across the table... Listen, I love I I, uh, I loved Obama, but I criticized him for the things that I thought sure. were bullshit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Very. It was. It, we did a segment about Obama's deportations early on mm -hmm. in the show. I got so much blowback from the audience, and we were like, "Do you not know? Oh man, <laughs> he was fucking number one deport. He was the czar of deportation. That was his whole well, bag. Listen, people, the the people." You know, I don't care, but people were not happy if I, I like mm -hmm. going out and do jokes about Hillary Clinton, mm -hmm. mm, the silence that would follow <laughs> jokes about Hillary Clinton. Right. But I'm like, we got to keep doing them. Yes. Yes. We got to keep doing them. Do you watch comedy? Do you do you actually like to relax to, to I don't unwind. watch like our kind of shows. No. Mm -mm. I mean, I don't watch our kind of shows. Mm -mm. Um, oh, to relax. Yeah, I watch Veep. Oh, Veep. Veep is like an antidepressant for me mm -hmm. Be and i kind of i i love them because they're, they're so selfish and they're so incompetent yeah and it's just so wonderful to see it done in such a funny way instead yeah. of such a sad and tragic way matter of fact i love selena meyer so much that julia louis Dreyfus's character so yeah. much that i actually said to her when i interviewed her once i said you know i'm tempted to consider her style, a good management style. And she said, what, just treating people awfully? And I said, yeah. She goes, it's not, I promise you. I said, I know that, I know that essentially I know that, but 
it's 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 so fun to watch that I I, I think it would be a fun workplace. And she goes, no, that's not the intention of our comedy. <laughs> you so missed I it. I watch that a lot. I love Maria Bamford. <gasps> she is she is medicine. She is my whatever. <gasps> she's very forward. She's very open about her own mm-hmm. psychopharmological help that she gets. She is that for me in many ways. That's There's so. There's nothing she does that I don't love. I love that you said that. I think that Lady Dynamite is one of the greatest shows and. I, Lady, for me, her Netflix show, there's only, I think, two seasons of it. When we were all traveling, and if I was going somewhere to do a hard job or an interview in another city and I fly, the first thing you do is you go to the hotel and you order a club sandwich and then you bring your, you put your computer up and I would always watch Lady Dynamite because it just made me feel happy Mm -hmm. from top to toe. Like I just, so funny and loopy. I love Maria Bamford. She was the last person I interviewed in the Ed Sullivan Theater. Oh, really? Before COVID. Oh, wow. Because we were supposed to have the uh, the chicks, formerly the Dixie Chicks. They were yeah. still the Dixie Chicks back then. Mm-hmm. But now they're the chicks. We were supposed to have the chicks on to be my, my interview guest and musical guest. And they couldn't come because of COVID. Like, they couldn't, like, we can't even, we can't get on a plane. Like, right. So, we're like, so we had Sanjay Gupta on mm-hmm. instead. And we were going to have an audience with Sanjay Gupta. And then the governor said, you can't have any audiences on Broadway. Uh-huh. So I said, okay, I guess we're leaving the theater. So they all went home. We canceled the audience. And it was just me and Sanjay for yeah. the entire show. And Maria was there to be a pre-interview for another day. Oh. And so I went up to the balcony. It was just me and her and nobody in the theater. Just me and her in the balcony. Oh my and I interviewed God. her, which we rolled in six months later. Uh or something it took that long for it to feel appropriate sure there's something serendipitous that this comedian who i adore and don't really know she knows how i feel about her but Mm -hmm. uh, i just adore would be my last guest before i leave it was this wonderful like little kiss goodbye oh god this was great i'm going to ask you one last question which is i just want to talk a little bit about in and of itself because it's so Interesting. I Jason watched the whole thing. I've only watched parts of it. What intrigued you? What caused you? Did you go and see the show? And that's why you wanted to participate in the making of the, I guess it's on Hulu. I saw the show. A couple of my producers had seen it mm-hmm. and independently recommended his show to me down at the Daryl Roth Theater downtown. Yeah. And one of these producers has done magic for a lot of his life. Mm-hmm. And he knew that I'm like not the biggest magic fan. I'm like I got nothing against magic. I'm I'm not pejorative about it. It's like ah, uh, you know, whatever. Yeah. And he said it's not a magic show, but he's one of the greatest living magicians. And okay. you you you're not going to believe the things that happen on stage. Okay. And 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 how much meaning he gives it. And I don't want to tell anything. I don't want to tell you anything else than that. Please don't Google anything. Don't learn anything. Uh-huh. Just go. So I went to go see it, and I, again, I'm, it's hard. To, it's a, the, the movie and the show that it was based on, though the movie certainly amplifies the experience in some interesting ways. It's about identity, mm-hmm. and it's about who um, we are limited in being because of how people see us. If we accept that 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 identity they lay on us, mm-hmm. and also the act of love, it is to see someone as they are mm-hmm. for all of their identities, not just one identity, and. It's essentially about love in that way. Who are you alone and nameless? And then what does it feel like if someone else can name that without you telling them? It's Mm. really a beautiful idea. And I would encourage you, like if you've watched the first 20 minutes, Mm. you haven't seen the show. Right, right. Those first 20 minutes is setting up everything else. I don't know if Jason has told you this. It's setting up everything else. Oh, yeah. He definitely was like... You know, and it's Jason Jones. He's like tough. He's crocodile skin. And he was just like tears. He's like streaming. He's like, this is extraordinary. Yeah, he's like, this is very emotional. You really have to watch it to the end. So I'm like, all right. I saw the I saw the show and my my entire feeling. I didn't even want to applaud because it was going to break some sort of spell. Mm -hmm. It's nice when you see and a show ends and you know that the show's end and people don't applaud at first because they're just holding in that. They don't want the spell to break the spell because right. when they applaud, the show's over. Right. And there was like this thin layer of air around my body, like a, a blanket. <gasps> I didn't want it. I didn't want to move, let alone clap. And then I uh, I got to know the the creator, Derek Delgadio, uh-huh. and it's directed by Frank Oz. But I got to go to the 
And we got together and we just talked about risk taking, essentially, because mm. he knew my work from the Colbert Report. And we talked about essentially like creative tightrope walking. What does it mean to do something, especially trying to do something that people say you can't do? Whatever, right. like, oh, you can't do that. Well, mm -hmm. let's try to do it and see what happens. And, and to what degree are, are people right? And to what degree can you use like your willingness to take a risk as part of the entertainment? Mm hmm. Mm -hmm. And so we we clicked on a deep level over a couple of cocktails a couple of times. Mm -hmm. And then I went to go see it again with a different group of people. And then he said, uh, I would like to make this into something. Who do you think I could take this to? Mm -hmm. And I said, take it to me. I'll help you make it. Oh. Evie and I produce and she felt the same way. This would, be, this would be nice. We'd love this to be the first movie we do. Right. We'd like it to be the first film. First, a chance to work with Frank Oz would be extraordinary. And sure. And a way to work with Derek. And it's been an extraordinary education for us. Really, I just, it was so beautiful that I wanted to be part of it in any way mm. without ever having said that out loud. And the fact that he came to me and said, would you want to help us do something else with this? Just right. felt like the universe tapping me on the shoulder and saying, you'd be really dumb not to help him right. do this. Well, that's great. Well, I also look forward to a future in which we can go see the live performances and be oh. enveloped in that energy. Yes. Oh, boy. So do I. So oh, do oh, I. Well, thank you so much for doing it. You gave me a lot of your time and I really appreciate it. Well, Sam, this was just great. We don't, I we don't get a chance to talk. We don't get a chance to talk because no. maybe a minute before we do the interview and a minute after we do the interview, but that's it. Mm -hmm. And you are part of my seminal entertainment career at The Daily Show, and I'll yeah. always be grateful to know you. Me too. Well, God, thank you again. Have an incredible day. We'll see you on the other side. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks. I'm actually, my day continues because I'm prepping for my colonoscopy, Sam. And oh, Stephen. Anyone want to share a bowl of chicken broth with me for the next 24 hours? Um, I did that once and I was like, you know what? Maybe I'll just never do that again. You know, I feel <laughs> this like. This is my second. This is my second, but okay. it's been a long time coming. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. My stomach yeah. turned. Okay. God, good okay. luck. Bye. Bye. <laughs> on that note, on that high note. <sighs> okay. I need to squeeze in another quick break here. Ah, oh, <laughs> Stephen, I can't believe how long I've known that guy. I know, and you said almost 20 years. That's ridiculous. Although, I mean, I can't say that I knew him at the beginning. I just sort of saw him from off. I mean, we interacted, but I don't remember any of those interactions when we when I first started <laughs> at The Daily Show because I, I remember very little. <laughs> I remember being scared. <laughs> How far into working there do you start having memories? It's like being a baby. I don't even know. Honestly, my first memories from that place could have been a year in. It's possible. I, I think, you know, I definitely met him, of course. And, but it's hard to get a job and go, oh, uh, my colleagues are people who I really admire. That doesn't make sense. Um, oh, yeah. I feel that way. Oh, stop it. <laughs> Stop it. No, we can't admire each other. It's not possible. Okay. All right. I thought that was great. Okay, yeah, it ahead. was great. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, as you know, and you guys talked about this, Stephen Colbert famously had his alter ego, conservative alter ego. Mm -hmm. And he talked a lot about how, you know, that persona isn't so crazy anymore because we have all these right wing pundits and politicians who basically sound exactly like he did. So we're going to play a little game where we're going to look at whether he was as much of a conservative trendsetter as he appeared to be. So okay. we're going to read you some quotes from people, and you're going to determine whether this is Stephen Colbert or a real sort of modern-day conservative. Okay. All right. I know you're really good at these games. Am I? I'm bad at them. No, you are good. You're, you're very <laughs> good, good at like... You're better right. than you think you are. You okay. like to sleuth, and you pick things apart. Uh, it's okay. quite a thing to see. Okay. All right. Okay. First one. If our founding fathers wanted us to care about the rest of the world, they wouldn't have declared their independence from it. Oh, that's that's Colbert rapport. Yeah. See, you're very good. Okay. <laughs> right, maybe I was projecting onto you. <laughs> okay, here's another one. I believe in an America where millions of Americans believe in an America. That's the America millions of Americans believe in. That's the America I love. Oh. That sounds like a real conservative person. 
That's a rambling, <laughs> real politician, I think. It's Mitt Romney. <laughs> yeah, that's a good yeah, descriptor for Mitt Romney. Rambling, rambling. <laughs> Hot dogs are my favorite meat. (laughs) What did he say? (laughs) My favorite steak meat is a tube steak. He said that. I thought it was like hamburger is my favorite meat. Oh, was it hamburger? (laughs) Hamburger. I thought it was hot dog meat. No, I could be wrong. To my vegetarian ears, they're the same thing. (laughs) Hamburger is my favorite meat. (laughs) (laughs) He really said that? Yeah. Wow. It's amazing he didn't win. (laughs) Yeah. They're like, what's your favorite meat? He's like, is quinoa meat? No. Like, (laughs) he's running through things in his head. (laughs) Tempeh? No. That's not a meat mitt. (laughs) Mittens? No. (laughs) Okay. I'm ready. I have a gut, and my gut tells me more sometimes than anybody else's brain can ever tell me. I have a gut, and my gut tells me. My American uh, gut. My American gut. I think that's Colbert Report. That was former oh. President Donald Trump. <laughs> my American. He said my American. Gut. No, sorry. That was oh. that was me. I added. Oh, <laughs> when you added American, that's what pushed me into Colbert Report. That's what pushed up. Yeah. Yeah. That was sorry. actually a hint. I tipped the scale. You tipped. It. And I apologize. Okay. That's fine. No you, problem. No, you're doing well, though. Okay. All right. Here's another one. The safest way to avoid throwing the baby out with the bathwater is to not change the bathwater. Oh, that felt, sounds like Stephen. Damn, that is. I think he'd be so happy to hear this and know how well you know him. I know. I'll get the next three wrong. <laughs> okay. Let's, next I'm, one. Okay. <laughs> I actually do think that Wikipedia is an amazing thing. It is the first place I go when I'm looking for knowledge or when I want to create some. Mm. Mm. (laughs) That's a tough one. It sounds like Stephen. Only that character would have the ego to say that he was going to create knowledge. (laughs) (laughs) All right, and this is the last one. This is a doozy. Liberals love America like OJ loved Nicole. Oh, that's a politician. Who said that? Ann Coulter. Yeah, okay. (laughs) That that makes sense. Yeah. Okay, that was great. What a great kickoff episode. (laughs) I hope you like this podcast. If you did, let us know in the comments. If you didn't, hmm. Well, please consider hate listening in the future. Seriously, though, please rate, review, and subscribe to Full Release on Apple Podcasts. That helps us. And keep sending your questions to fullrelease at sampy.com. They might even be featured on a future episode. In the meantime, let me know who I should be talking to. What do you think I should talk to them about? Or you can just let us know what an amazing job you think we're doing. We accept compliments. Don't forget to tune in to Full Frontal with Smithy every Wednesday night at 10.30 p.m. on TBS to see me in the flesh and if you need even more sam b there's additional full release on stitcher premium and we will see you next tuesday for another full release this podcast is brought to you by earwolf and tbs and was produced by adam howard and Svia baron reinstein with research provided by noreen malik and it and technical production provided by high tech it was edited by julia fott and hosted by me that's right samantha b I'm probably the worst limbo person in the world. Like when, if you're at a resort or something and someone brings out the limbo stick, I'm like, get it away from me. Here, here, here.